Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. You're listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities, and it is our aim to lead you to the cross through the teaching of God's Word. And Second Peter is a parallel passage and talks about these angels that sinned and again are in chains of darkness, but it ties it in with the flood once again. And that could just be anecdotal, but it sure looks like it's tying it in with the flood. You have this situation back in Genesis chapter 6 where it talks about the sons of God going into the daughters of men and having children, and the children come out giants. And then immediately after that, that is stated, God talks about the fact that he's bringing the flood on the earth to destroy the whole planet. And so there's some weird things going on back in Genesis chapter 6. When it uses the term for giants, that term is used later on in the book of Deuteronomy. It's used in the book of Numbers, and it's talking about big people. And so it talks about the Anakim, the sons of Anak. Goliath was one of the sons of Anak. And the Anakim are called a number of terms, but one of them is the term that's used there for giants. And so Moses in that place puts an editorial passage in there. He says there were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, okay? Later on in the Bible, actually it's really earlier, but in the book of Job, it defines sons of God. There's a, it's, a, it's a specific term in Greek or in uh, Hebrew, it's B'nai Elohim. It's only used in the book of Genesis and in the book of Job. And in, those, in the book of Job, it's talking about angels. In fact, it says that they were there when the foundations of the earth were created. And so you got this weird thing going on with angels before the flood that was one of the reasons for the judgment of the world on the flood. Now, some people want to take the sons of God and make them into the godly line of Seth versus the ungodly line of Cain. And so for just going through and talking about that, first off, what makes you think that the whole line of Seth was godly? Think there might be some unbelievers in there over, you know, about 1,600 years? Could there be? And so who knows that? Secondly, who knows whether or not, whether or not the whole line of Cain was un- ungodly? Might there have been some believers in the line of Cain over 1,600 years? That's the passage of time that was going on in that, in, in that passage. And so I, I got some problems with the, with the broad strokes that are put there. Secondly, it says that the offspring that came from these unions were giants. And when we're talking about giants, Goliath was 9'9". The guy was huge. This is eight feet right here. Top of my finger is eight feet. And so add a couple of feet and nine inches to that. And that's how, you, how big you're talking about with Goliath. There's a giant that, whose bedstead was over 13 feet. And, you know, it's talking about his bed. And it, it's talking about how huge this man was. And so the, the term that's used for giants there is a term that means giants in, in the sense that we think of. And so it happened not once, but at least twice. And in actuality, when you go, down, when you go back through 
human history, whether you're talking about in Europe or whether you're talking about in Asia or whether you're talking about in America, South America, Patagonia. When the Spanish got here, there were people that were well over 10 feet tall that they met in Patagonia. There was, a, have you ever heard of Tecumseh? That guy was over nine feet tall. And, and so we don't usually hear about that kind of stuff. You have to dig to find these things out. But there, there have been very large people over the planet. And many times these people are radically wicked. The, the Mayans talk about a people that they basically eviscerated because they were so wicked and they were all giants. And so giants and wickedness apparently goes together. There's even an indication in the book of Isaiah when it talks about Rephaim, it's a term that's also used for the giants, and it talks about them eating their young. And so cannibalism is tied in with this stuff too. Um, whether you're talking about ancient history or whether you're talking about possibly in the Bible. So um, wicked people that, that came from these unions. And so really weird stuff. And I know that it's weird, but again, the classical interpretation of that is that there were some angels that decided to leave their, their own abode and cohabit with women and that there were children born from them. Well, how do angels, you know, I mean, everything I'm saying is opening up a can of worms, right? So how do angels cohabit with women? Well, can they put on a body? Can angels put on a body? The book of Hebrews, it says that you need to be careful to entertain people because in doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. So obviously those angels were in a physical body. Abraham has an encounter with two angels and the Lord, and he feeds them. They eat goat meat and cheese and milk. He feeds them, not kosher, by the way. <laughs> and Abraham feeds them, right? And so obviously they can eat. And so, you know, it's like when I look at what angels can do and what, what they can't do, I don't know a bunch that they wouldn't be able to do. Okay, so one of the passages that gets brought up is Jesus says that when we get to heaven, that there's not going to be any marriage or giving in, mar giving in marriage, but we're going to be like the angels. And the implication there is that angels can't procreate. That is not what the passage says. It says that angels aren't married. That's what it says. And we're not going to be married either. That's what it says. That's what, that's what Jesus was talking about. He wasn't talking about what we can or can't do as far as physicality goes. In any case, a bunch of weird stuff. Okay, here's the other thing. When you get to the book of Revelation, in the book of Revelation, gosh, I think it's chapter nine. There is this whole thing with the fifth trumpet where there's a star that falls from heaven and the bottomless pit gets opened up and these things like locusts come out and torment men for three months. So the bottomless pit gets opened up and the, something comes out in a great cloud and begins tormenting people and there's a description of it. And it's demonic, it, you know, it's spiritual, it's demonic, something weird is going on there. And it looks like when you tie all this stuff together that God took these fallen angels who fell further than any of the other fallen angels he took them and he put them in a place of darkness where he put them in chains so they, they can no longer do anything with mankind. And then it looks like during the tribulation period, he's going to release them. And they're going to come out and torment people 
that are here on the earth. And I know that I just said a mouthful there and I opened up another can of worms, right? And anyway, in, in any case, what I'm telling you is that there's something weird going on with the Genesis 6 passage, the 1 Peter 3 passage, the 2 Peter 2 passage, and the Jude 6 passage, and the Revelation chapter 9 passage. There's weird things going on there. And like I said, I think that what happened there is that Jesus, when Jesus went to um, Hades, that he went to preach to the spirits in prison. That's not talking about people get a, get a second chance after you die. The Bible's clear on this. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. That's in the book of Hebrews. And so we only get to make our choices while we're alive here. After you die, God's not gonna come along, give you another chance. That's not gonna be happening. You make your choices here. God makes sure that you get every opportunity to receive him, and then you make your choice, and then that's it. That's where you're at for the rest of eternity. God takes you and... He either grants your request and keeps you away from him for the rest of eternity. That's what a person without Christ wants. I don't want anything to do with God. And God grants that request. Or a person who wants to know the Lord, wants to be with him. You got to remember that Jesus always is trying to get you to heaven. He's not trying to keep you out. So even when you blow it, God's trying to get you to heaven. He's not trying to keep you out. It's a good thing to remember. So when Jesus died for a sinner, he died for you. And when he died for you, he died for you knowing exactly who you were and who you're gonna be in five years and 10 years and 15 years and 30 years. He knows every stupid thing you're ever gonna do. And he still wants you, he still picked you, okay? And so just to, just to let you know that. In any case, you've made a choice to follow Christ and that's where you're gonna be. You're gonna be, I think you're gonna be escorted by angels. I think that's why Jesus put that in the passage in Luke 16. I think you die, the last thing that you're going, the, the last thing you're gonna see on earth is whoever's around you at that point, hopefully family comforting you. And then you're gonna close your eyes and you're gonna open, open them up. And probably the guys that have been protecting you for the last umpteen years are gonna be standing there with you. The Bible talks about the angel of the Lord encamps round about those who fear him. They're gonna be standing there and saying, let's go, time to go home and off you're gonna go into the presence of God. In that case, it was to Abraham's bosom. But if Jesus led those people to heaven, now that's where you go, you go to heaven. Okay, there's a great gulf fixed in between that place of comfort and the place of torment. And that great gulf corresponds to what the Greeks called Tartarus, and it's what the New, Te the New Testament uses that exact same word, Tartarus. And it was in Greek mythology, it's where the Titans were kept in captivity. Biblically, if that great gulf is the bottomless pit, if that great gulf is that prison of darkness that the Bible talks about that and talks about, in that gulf would be these fallen angels. And so it looks like what Jesus was doing was going down and letting them know that they're all done. He goes and preaches to the spirits in prison who were formerly disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. And so these fallen angels did one of the most perverted things that could ever take place. And God judged them and he put them in chains of darkness. And when Jesus goes to the cross, he's paying for all of sin. And he has now, uh, actually it's at the cross where Satan was crushed. 
He's, he's, he's won. He's had ultimate victory at the cross. And so every work of Satan is going to perish from that point on. We know that this is what's going to happen. And so we're still living in the process, but we know that in the end, Satan is gonna be cast in the lake of fire along with all his buddies. And that's gonna be the end of him and we're gonna start off with a new heaven and a new earth and there's not gonna be any in, anything in it that defiles it from that point on. So I think that what was happening here was Jesus was going down and telling these guys their end. You're done, it's all over. Guess what? Just died on the cross. Couple days here and I'm gonna be rising up again and it's all over for you. And the point that I'm making here is that when Jesus died on the cross, again, he didn't just stay in the tomb, he led captivity captive and then he made a proclamation to these spirits that are in prison and most likely a proclamation of judgment upon them and, and the fact that judgment was coming. Okay, so now what happens when you die? If you die as a Christian, I already told you. I think, I think that what happens is angels escort, escort you into the presence of God, right? Um, if you die as a non-Christian, what happens? And if you die as a non-Christian, the, the torment portion of Hades is still there and people are still there. And so you would wake up in Hades. And as the rich man said, in torment in Hades. And then after God is all done with the earth and he's ready to make the new heaven and the new earth, all those people who have died without Christ are going to be raised and taken to heaven. And the Bible says that they're going to stand before the judgment seat of God, the great white throne judgment, and that books are gonna be opened. And this is in, uh, again in Revelation chapter 20 at the end of the chapter. Books are gonna be opened and another book is open, which is the book of life. And it looks like the books that are open, they're gonna be judged out of those books and they're specifically gonna be judged by their works. Whenever the Bible says you're gonna be judged by your works, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. You don't wanna be judged by your works. Are your works perfect? No. And so if you're judged by your works, you're gonna be, be judged as imperfect. And as far as we're all concerned, that's where we sit. But the reason that you're going to heaven is because you're not judged by your works, you're judged by the work that Jesus performed on the cross. When he was on the cross, he died on the cross as if he was you, so that you could live in heaven as if you were him. He literally trades places with you there. And so the reason we're going to heaven is not because of our good works, but the reason that we're going to heaven is because of Jesus's good work and the fact that he transferred that to us. And so that's, that's called the atonement. That's what, that's what Christ did for us. But the Bible says, as a Christian, your works are judged. You're never judged by your works, but your works themselves are judged. And so you see that in 1 Corinthians 3 and also in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where our works are judged to see what sort they are. And if they're gold and silver and precious jewels, then they last. And if they're wood, hay, and stubble, then they burn up and you got nothing. But if they're gold and silver and precious jewels, then you're rewarded for that. And so you're not judged by your works. Your works are judged and you receive a reward or, or no reward based on what you've done, okay? And so that's, that's the, the picture that you have there. These people, what's that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, a, that's the point that, that Paul is making in 2 Corinthians chapter three. So actually, when you think of your good works, so just think of the best thing that you ever did for the Lord, right? 
Was it absolutely perfect? Nope. They never are. And so I can come up here with the greatest of intentions, and I just want to glorify the Lord, and I want to do exactly what He wants me to do. I want to speak the things that He wants me to speak, and that's never going to happen perfectly. It's not going to happen perfectly because I'm an imperfect vessel. But, you know, there, there can be times, and I, I actually I've seen this with guys. Actually, it's happened with me before. There have been times when I've been teaching, and I just said something stupid. And it's like Holy Spirit just goes, whew. And now I'm, all, I'm standing here all by myself at that point. I'm like, God, really sorry. Please don't abandon me. I don't want to be up here by myself. You know, and, and that kind of that thing. And so you can be in a situation where you're doing the right thing. You're doing it for the right reasons. You're doing it with the power of the Spirit working in your life. And then somewhere in the middle of that, you just get in your flesh on one level or another, right? And so a lot of times people look at that and they go, okay, well, that was a bad work then. It's all done. Well, no, it wasn't. Some of it was exactly what God wanted you to do. And he's not going to not reward you for the things that he wanted you to do. What he's going to do is burn out all the junk. And so any work that we have that uh, when we appear before God is going to be purified by the fire that it goes through, so to speak. And so the, all that's going to be left is gold and silver and precious jewels and anything that was cruddy is going to be burned up and you're going to be left with the, with the good stuff. And Paul also makes the point, and again, this is in 1 Corinthians 3, that you can be in a situation where you have no good works and yet you're saved. What Paul says is, so as by fire, what we would say is by the skin of your teeth, you're saved, but you're still saved because again, we're not judged by our works. Our works are judged. These people who've died and been in Hades are gonna stand before the Lord and they're not, their works aren't getting judged, they're getting judged by their works. And so that means that what they considered to be, you know, it's, it's not even the kind of situation where God's gonna go through necessarily and judge them by what the Bible says. He would obviously only do that with people who actually knew what the Bible said. So there's all kinds of people who don't know what the Bible says and don't want to, right? Well, God's not going to judge them by that. He's going to judge them by their own standard. And so people all the time say things like, you know, my heart is right. I'm a good person. You know, even though I did that awful thing, I had the right intentions, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff. And they're going to, you know, people say this stuff all the time. And uh, what they're trying to do is they're trying to live with themselves. I'm really a good person. It, you know, it doesn't matter what I actually do. And that kind of, that kind of situation. And so there are people who know that it's wrong to steal. And so if you rip them off, they're just outraged. But if they steal something from work, not a biggie. If they steal some, something from a store where you know it's run by a multinational corporation, not a biggie. But if you steal from them, that's a big fat deal, right? And so they have the standard, thou shalt not steal. They've just mixed the standard up and said, okay, it's not right for you to steal from me, but I've got all these other things that make it okay in my, in my sight. And all God's gonna say is, what's your standard? Should you steal? And they're gonna go, no. And then he's gonna go, you did. Should you rail on people? Well, no. And usually that's, you don't rail on me. I get to rail on you. But should you rail on people? Well, no. Well, this is what you did. And God will just use their own standard because nobody even lives up to their own standard. Doesn't mean, it doesn't even matter how low the standard is. People don't even live up to that. And so God's just going to use it. This is your life, basically. 
I think that there's probably a little button in the back of your head someplace where you can replay everything that you've ever done. And God's going to push the button and ding, everything's coming up. And then you're judged by those things. Well, I never knew God. I never, I never knew that you were there. I never knew that you wanted me. Nobody ever told me. And then ding, this is your life. And up comes every time that anybody ever witnessed to you. And all the times that you acted like a jerk towards them when they did. And all, all of that kind of stuff. And nobody's going to get away with anything. And so then after that point, the Bible says that what God's going to do is he's going to open another book, which is the book of life, and see if their names are in it. And everybody who's not found in the book of life whose names are not found in the book of life, are cast into the lake of fire. This is another hell. So we got Tartarus, we got Hades, there's a comfort portion of Hades, there's the torment portion of Hades, and then you have the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is the final destination for all the unrighteous dead, and specifically for Satan and his angels. That's what it was made for. And so at that point, they're gonna go to the lake of fire, okay? So I, I mentioned something, that these people are taken from Hades, and where are they taken? To heaven. They're in heaven, and they see God. They're gonna be in heaven, and they're gonna see God. Have you ever heard anybody say, all roads lead to heaven? They do. All roads do lead to heaven. It's just what happens when you get there is the problem. And the reason I'm, I'm pointing that out is because Satan is a master deceiver. And he tells people half-truths all the time. And so he can go to a person who is totally anti-Christ, totally anti-biblical, totally anti-God, and try to make them think that they're going to be okay before the Lord and actually tell them a half-truth, you're going to make it to heaven. And that's exactly what's gonna happen. And then when they get to heaven, God's gonna look at them and say, I, didn't know, I don't know you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. But they're gonna make it to heaven. They're gonna be raised from the dead before they go to heaven. And so the Bible talks about the resurrection of the just, that's us, and the resurrection of the unjust. They get a spiritual body before they go to heaven. And then they appear before God and then they're cast in the lake of fire and that's where they're destroyed. And the word destroy, that's, I'm getting that out of 1 Thessalonians, the word destroy does not mean to wipe out. It means they're ruined when they get to the lake of fire. It doesn't mean they cease to exist. They're ruined. And you can imagine a soul that's without God for eternity there. In any case, that's what's happening now. So whenever I am describing the situation with an unbeliever, if, you're gonna, if you've done something awful enough, the cops are going to arrest you and they're gonna place you where? In jail. County jail, that's where you're going to go, or the city jail, either one, depending on where you're at, okay? So you're going to go to county jail. Then you're going to come before a judge, and the judge is going to determine your guilt or innocence. There's going to be a jury and all that, all that stuff. You're going to have a trial where your guilt or innocence is determined, and then you go to prison if what you've done is bad enough. Then you go to prison. And so Hades is like jail. So you've got all these people who are waiting in jail for their trial, and after their trial, they're going to prison. But it wasn't a prison that was designed for men. Jesus specifically said it was made for the, the devil and his angels. And they're going to end up there. And one of the things that's so pitiful about that whole thing is that Satan is trying to take the people that God loves the most and drag them to hell with them. The 
that's literally what's taken place on this planet. You've been listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities in Kennewick, Washington. If you are interested in purchasing a copy of today's message or wanting to know more about what it means to follow Christ, then please contact our church office by phone at 509-736-2086. You can also look us up online at calvary-tricities.org. There you will find a wide variety of Pastor Steve's teachings to listen to or download for free. If you want to join us for church sometime, we are located at 10611 West Clearwater Avenue in Kennewick, Washington. Our Sunday morning service times are 7.30, 9.15, and 11 a.m. We also have Wednesday and Sunday evening services at 6.30 p.m. We hope you have been blessed today and join us again next time for Crosswalk.